0: Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Faith
1: is not pretending that the giant is not real. If I allow that giant to have power over my life, then my faith's not real. And that's
0: the problem. What is the biggest obstacle in your life? What seems to stand in the way of your peace, your joy, your contentment? Would it be safe to call it a giant in your life?
1: That giant something... That giant issue, that giant problem, that giant financial crisis, that giant family issue, giants can show up in our lives.
0: Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Thanks for joining us today as we continue our series entitled Alone. Pastor Clay is walking us through situations in the lives of men and women in the Bible who faced their situation alone. We all go through times when it feels like we are all alone. How do we handle those times?
1: Does your giant intimidate you? Does it cause you to fear? Does it cause you to shake in your boots? Does it cause you to freeze in your tracks and unable to move forward because of whatever it is?
0: Today we're looking at one of the most famous stories in all the Bible, the story of David and Goliath. You know, from a human standpoint, you probably wouldn't put very good odds on a shepherd boy being able to defeat a warrior giant. But then again, God has never cared much about odds.
1: This is actually a biblical concept that it's okay to acknowledge an issue or trial or circumstance in my life, but what I cannot do is allow it to have power over me.
0: In today's message, Pastor Clay is going to point out the action steps that David took to defeat his giant and how you and I can take those same steps and defeat the giants that come into our life. Now here's Pastor Glenn.
1: If I said to you, God is with you, you, you would probably agree with that concept. You, you know it intellectually, right? Say, well, you're, we're never really alone. God is with us. You know that intellectually, right? You, you understand it as a, as a concept. You You probably know it Theologically, you know from God's word, I'll never leave you on on and on, all the passages of scripture that deal with that, you probably know it theologically. I want you to know it as a reality. I want you to know it practically in your life. And more importantly, God wants you to know it as a reality. Not simply as a concept, oh yeah, yeah, God's with me. Not simply as a concept, but to know it as a reality in your life when you face things that are hard. Or when things are going well, to know that God is with you through those things. Jesus said this in John chapter 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled... Nor let it be fearful. Maybe you've read that passage of Scripture before. Maybe you've read it a, a thousand times. But Jesus is saying in there, listen, I understand how most of the world operates. I understand how most of the world looks for peace in their life. That peace is determined. And whether you're, whether you're in, in uh, middle school or high school or uh, senior adult or wherever you are in the process of your life, right? Jesus says, the world gives peace based on the presence or absence of something in my life, right? If, if there is plenty of money present in my checking account, then, then I, I'm at peace, at, at least in the financial aspect of my life, right? If the, if, if the doctor says the, the scan revealed uh, no sign of the disease, I have peace in, in my life over that issue. If, if there's not strife or turmoil in my, uh, in my relationship with my spouse, in my marriage, I, I can have, I have peace. I can, I can sense peace in my life, uh, at, at least in the area of, of my relationship with my spouse. Jesus says, I, I, don't, I don't give peace that way. I, I don't give peace based on the presence or the absence of something in your life. He says, what I can do for you is give you peace in spite of what is present or absent in your life. Because, to, if I were expanding on what Jesus said, not that I'm trying to speak for him, but this is what he's saying. Because my peace, Jesus says, is based on my presence in your life. And the ability to live within the reality of that. To actually experience that ...in your life, regardless of what is absent or what is present in your life at any given moment. Giants can be present in our life sometimes, can't they? You, you know what I mean? That, that, that giant something, that giant issue, that giant problem, that giant financial crisis... ...that, that giant family, what giants can show up in our lives, Right? They, they do. They, they're just, they're there, right? And so I want to start this morning by uh, talking about that, talking about giants. And I want to start by giving you a, just a couple of uh, pieces of information before we dive into a text and look at it. I did this last week with adversity, put a couple things on the table right up front. And I'll do that again uh, today as we get started in discussing this idea of the giants in our life and how we deal with the giants that come into our life. A cancer diagnosis, that would be a giant, wouldn't it? Or, or some type of medical issue. Going through a divorce. That would be a, a giant, wouldn't it? Or wanting to be married and unable to find the right person. That could be a giant in somebody's life. Loss of a job. A, a bad medical report, a Rebellious child. A, 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 and, and lots of other... Anybody have a boss or a co that seems to have made it their mission in life to make your life as miserable as it can possibly be? Giants. So, I want to give you a couple of ideas about that uh, before we uh, look at a specific example. Uh, first one, is, just, just as information, is this. A giant can be, say it, scary. scary. It's okay to acknowledge when a giant has come into your life, whatever it is, whatever shape, form, fashion it happens to have taken. it's okay to acknowledge that, man, this, this is scary in my life. This, this thing that's coming, what's happening, we have to deal with with emotions. We have to do with feeling, feelings of, of doubt and, and uncertainty and, and, and fear that come into our life as a result of this giant that has shown up. It, it can be scary in our life. So one of the things that we have to do, that I would say we have to do, is that we have to acknowledge that the giant's presence is in your life, but don't accept the giant's power over your life. Acknowledge The presence, the giant's presence in your life, but don't accept the giant's power over your life. Now, listen to me. This is not, if you're filling that blank, great, thanks. But listen to me. That's, this is not some L. Ron Hubbard, Dianetics, power of positive thinking thing, okay? We're going to see that this is actually a biblical concept, that it's okay to acknowledge an issue or trial or circumstance in my life, but what I cannot do is uh, uh, allow it to have power over me. It, it... Faith, let me just say this, faith is not pretending that the giant is not real. The problem is, if I allow that giant to have power over my life, then my faith's not real. And that's the problem, okay? Giants uh, can be scary. And the second uh, idea I want to start with this morning is, uh, go ahead, the biggest A giant's biggest weapon may be intimidation. A giant can be scary. His biggest weapon may be intimidation. You've probably already guessed by now. But the uh, biblical example that we're looking at is a young man by the name of David. And the giant that he faced in his life. The story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you have a Bible, you can turn with it there. Text will be up on the screen as well. And I'm going to read some of the text here uh, in just a second uh, from the screen because I want to read it from the New Living uh, Translation to help you understand uh, this idea that a giant's uh, biggest weapon sometimes may be intimidation. I want to start reading in First Samuel chapter 17 and verse 1. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Soca and Judah and Azekah and Ephes Damim. Saul... Countered, by by the way, when you're reading stuff like this, if, if you come to a word that's like hard to pronounce or something, just say hard word and keep going. It's all right. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the Valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Goth, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. Just just what he, he also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam and it was tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor-bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a shield, and Goliath stood and shouted, shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you coming out to fight? He called. I'm the Philistine champion, but you're only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me this, when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Listen, the first punch hasn't even been thrown yet, and Saul and the armies of Israel are shaken in their boots. As as the song Casting Crowns puts it, they're shaking in their armor. Hasn't even been the first blow, hasn't even been the first anything, and they are absolutely terrified. Why? Because that's what giants do. They intimidate, and sometimes the, very, the greatest weapon they have is intimidation. To cause you and me, to cause Saul and the army of Israel to be fearful. And listen, listen mm, this is, he's an imposing figure, right? Y'all ever stood beside a nine-foot person? Me either, but I've stood beside pretty tall people, and it's and and this, I mean, just just his size alone would have been pretty intimidating, right? But then you you add this armor and and this helmet and this the shield bearer and this this shield and this javelin, the spear, the sword, this all this stuff. I mean, he he cuts an imposing figure. He cuts an intimidating figure because that's what giants do. They use intimidation. Oftentimes, it, it may be the very best weapon that they have intimidation does your giant intimidate you does it cause you to fear does it cause you to shake in your boots does it cause you to freeze in your tracks and unable to move forward because of whatever it is and listen can i say this even as i started talking about this today some of you instantly your mind went to your giant didn't it whatever it is whatever situation your mind instantly went there right cuz that's that's what that's what happens cuz giants are hard to ignore they're big and you'd like to not think about your giant for more than five minutes, but it's just always there. Whatever it is, financial or physical or, or emotional or psychological or, or whatever it is, it's always there. And the giant's always, he's waving his arms and says, Hey, hey, look over here. Look at me. I'm big. I'm bad. Be intimidated. It may be the very greatest weapon that a giant has. When I was in high school, I was on the wrestling team. And the summer... Between my freshman and sophomore year, our coach took us up to, to Orlando, I think it was in Orlando, took us up to uh, compete in an AAU wrestling meet. Now, if you're not familiar with what AAU is, AAU stands for Amateur Athletic Union, and uh, they hold baseball tournaments and basketball tournaments and wrestling meets and uh, all kinds of athletic events uh, all over uh, the United States, they they hold those events, in, in the thing about these is that they're open to anyone that is an amateur all right so it's not, not necessarily an age-based thing if you're an amateur and you're competing in that you can compete in this in wrestling if you make that weight class you can wrestle in that weight you No, know, it doesn't matter what your age or what it is right so i'm uh i don't know it's, uh, i'm 14 15 years old i weigh about 112 pounds soaking wet and uh And and it's it's getting getting ready for my match, right, Uh, my first match. And I'm standing over on the one side of the gym, and I'm, you know, I'm stretching, and I'm, you know, warming up, and I'm doing whatever that stuff I used to be able to do was. And I'm doing some of that stuff, and from the other side of the room, uh, here comes this guy, right? And he's just, like, just walking very deliberately like right towards me and you know how you ever been in a situation where he could wherever it was in the other side of the room office wherever it is and you just knew a guy was coming straight to you i mean it could be 600 people in the room but you know that guy is coming to you well i, I just knew that guy is coming over to me is the whole team's over but he's coming towards me and he's got his eyes fixed on me and he comes over there and and he he comes over and right and he's he's got like this super thick mustache you know and he's got like razor stubble his whole face is like black but he you know razor stubble he's got muscles on top of muscles and he and he comes over there and he walks right up to me and he sticks his hand out like that and you know i'm like uh, stick my hand out and he grabs my hand he grabs it real firm you know real real solid and he's looking me, just looking me, never takes his eye off he's looking look right in the eye he says hi i'm so-and-so i finished third in my weight class in the state of new york in 19 so-and-so i'm your next opponent turns around and walks off And I'm thinking, oh, it's on like Donkey Kong in this place. I'll New York you in a minute. No. No. Folks, that match was over before it ever even began. Because he so psyched me out. He so intimidated me. He made me so fearful and and took away any hope that I might have of winning. And that, that match was over before I had stepped on the mat. And it was literally over three seconds after I stepped on the mat. But, but that's, that's what giants do. They intimidate. Okay, so they scary. They intimidate. Now, let's look at the life of David. Let's see how he handled his giant. And what we can learn from his actions with his giants. The, the, the action steps that David took that we can then apply to the giant in your life. You thinking about your giant? Hey, and, and maybe if you right now, you say, I, mean, I don't really have a giant right now in my life. Bless you. But most of us have, there's something. Okay, so we're going to begin reading First uh, Samuel 17. We're going to pick it up actually in verse uh, 20. But let me just fill in a little bit because we read verse 11 a minute ago. I want to fill in a little bit and then we'll pick it up in verse uh, 20. David is one of eight sons of a man by the name of Jesse. Jesse has eight sons. His three oldest sons have joined up with Saul and they've gone to uh, do battle with the Philistines. Okay, so his three oldest sons are gone uh, and, and Jesse sends David with some provisions. He sends, them, he sends him off to the battle line to find his brothers and to provide some provisions for them. Okay, that's where we are. First uh, Samuel 17 beginning this morning in uh, verse 20. So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with a keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him and he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army, and then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. And as he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath, named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines. And he spoke these same words. Those words we read a a moment ago. And David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he's coming up to defy Israel. It would be that the king would enrich the man who kills him Uh, with great riches and will give him his daughter and and make his father's house free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? The people answered him uh, in accord with uh, this word, saying, Thus it will be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger burned against David. And he said, why have you come down? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you've come down in order to see the battle. But David said, this is a great younger brother response. What did I do now? What have I done? Was it not just a question? And then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing, and the people answered the same thing as before. OK, first uh, action step that David took was this, this is we can do. You start with a godly foundation. In your life, if you're going to do battle against the giants that come into your life, you have to start with a godly foundation. Now, if we, uh, we don't have time to read all of it, but if we were to go back just one chapter, right? We're in 1 Samuel 17. If we were to go back one chapter, 1 Samuel 16, we would find a story unfolding in 1 Samuel 16, where God sends the prophet Samuel, the guy who recorded these books, God sends the prophet Samuel down to Bethlehem, the hometown of, of David's father Jesse he sends him down there to anoint a new king it was a kind of a ceremonial thing but and it's a long story but basically Saul had Saul had disobeyed God Saul had God had given Saul some chances and and Saul just he just he just was disobeying God and so basically God said I'm replacing Saul Samuel go down to Bethlehem I'll show you who you're supposed to anoint and he goes to the house of Jesse and out of eight Out of eight sons, out of eight, I'm sure, strong, strapping boys, God tells Samuel to anoint the youngest one, the littlest one, David. By by the way, there's a great lesson, sidebar lesson in that. And that is that God doesn't do things the way the world does things. God doesn't choose people based on who's the, the brightest or the smartest or the richest or the most beautiful or the most talented. Listen to me. God uses people who have a heart for him. You hear me? I don't care who you are or what you think or how inadequate you think you are or, or somebody else. Why, why are they they're, they're prettier than me or they've got more wealth than me or they've got... God uses people who have a heart for him, okay? But in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16 and verse 13, uh, we find this. Then Samuel took the horn of oil. It's a, a, a sheep's horn. It's a, they're storing oil in it. He took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the midst of his brothers, him being David. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David... From that day forward, David has a spiritual foundation. David has a love for God, a desire to honor God, and to please God with his life. Well, how do you, how do you know that, Clay? Did, did you read? Did you read what, or did you hear what we read just a moment ago? What, what David said to those men? When they're all fearful and everything about Goliath, did, did you hear what he said in verse 26? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is who is this guy that he should taunt the armies of the living God David has a spiritual foundation David knows that that he is God's, and that God has purposes and plans, and that he can trust God in the midst of it. And so he, he he he's he's built he's building his life. He's just he's just a young man. He's just a young boy, really, at this point in his life. But he's built his life on 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 God's purposes and plans. He has a spiritual foundation for his life and for for what's coming into his life. This is a good a place as any to stop and ask you this morning. Do you have a spiritual foundation? Do you have a spiritual foundation. If you do not, you need one for a couple of reasons. One, because without a spiritual foundation, you're, you're separated from God. You're lost. You're, you're in a state of lostness. I don't mean to insult anybody in here uh, today, but the fact is all of us, all of us, all of us have sinned. And that sin separates us from God. Here's the way the Old Testament prophet Isaiah uh, put it. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. That That's us. And the consequence of that decision on each of our part to do things Opposed or or opposite or or contrary to what God would want for our life. The consequence of that is eternal separation. I'm sorry, in a real place called hell. Not because God desires for anyone to go there. I I genuinely believe that. But because you and I have desired to, to go our own way. And to make our own path. To make our own decisions. To choose what we would want. And there would be no hope, right? There's no hope for a spiritual foundation. Had God not intervened. So let's read Isaiah 53, 6 again, but this time with the surrounding verses, beginning in verse 5. But he was, he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord has laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed And treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before its shearers, he did not open his mouth. Now, you know why? 700 years after Isaiah pens these words. 700 years. Can we get a context? 700 years after Isaiah pens these words... John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus coming to him, John the Baptist utters these words. John chapter 1 and verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, say it with me, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Listen, every single person that would have heard John the Baptist speak those words that day would have instantly associated that with Isaiah's prophecy. They would have known that Isaiah said, as a, as a sheep before its shears is silent, as a lamb offered up as a sacrifice. And John the Baptist says, now here he comes, here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what God did to make it possible for you and I to have a spiritual foundation. If you do not have a spiritual foundation built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, you have no foundation at all. And without it, when the giants come into your life and anything else, w- without it or if, you're, if, you're, if you do not desire it for your life, then you'll just have to go on trying to do it in your own strength or, or feeling defeated or, or fearful or doubtful or whatever the case may be. If you do not have a spiritual foundation and are not doing all you can to build that spiritual foundation, you need it for your own spiritual and physical and literal eternal destiny. And the second reason that you and I need a spiritual foundation is because... There's a lot of giants out there, right? They come in different shapes and different sizes, form, fashion, different times, different, but, but there's giants everywhere in our life looking to come into our life, looking to cause uh, hardship or difficulties or trials or persecution or, or fear or whatever the case may be. And without it, without a foundation, you're going to be like Saul in the armies of Israel. That every time the giant shows up, you're going to be fearful, Doubtful, afraid, and running scared. need a spiritual foundation. We need a spiritual foundation. It starts with a spiritual foundation. Second action step was this. Have a godly expectation. You say that with me this morning? Have a godly expectation. All right, three of y'all said that with me. Would you say that with me this morning? Have a godly expectation. Watch what happens beginning in verse 31. Now listen. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Don't worry about this Goliath, dude. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Kind of reminds me of that, uh, forgive me, kind of reminds me of that scene in, in True Grit. You remember where Rooster Cogburn tells Lucky Ned Pepper and, and all the guys, what that he's, he, he says, Ned, I, I plan to... See you dead in one minute. Or see you hanged at Judge Parker's convenience. Which will it be? You remember that scene? And and, uh, like Ned Pepper says. I I call that bold talk for a one-eyed fat man. (laughs) That's the kind of stuff. That's what they Listen. You hear what he just said? Hey. Hey. Hey, king. This is the king he's talking to. Don't sweat it. Don't let anybody be fearful over this guy. Your servant will go out and fight. Listen. Listen. It's pretty much universally agreed among, among biblical scholars that David is somewhere between 12 and 15 years of age at this point. Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And then Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or bear came and took a lamb from his flock. I went out after him and and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up uh, against me, I, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine, he'll be like one of them. Since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go. May the Lord be with you. I can just hear. God bless you, man, <laughs> as you're going out there. Listen, it, it is quite apparent that, that Saul and the army of Israel, that none of them are expecting God to show up and do anything in this. Now, listen, if you had asked them, if you had gone to King Saul, or if you'd gone to a, a soldier in the army, and you said, Hey, are, 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 are you God's people? or Are you God's army? Is God on your side? I, I'm pretty sure they would have said, yeah, yeah, God's on our side. But you see what's happened? They, they doubt that they can win this battle. They doubt that God's going to show up for them. They have that doubt in their mind. If I asked you, Is, are, are, are you God's, does, does God care for you? God I have no doubt. The vast majority of you would say, well, yeah, yeah. But are you living as if you doubt whether God's going to show up for that giant in your life? Are you living like you doubt it? you got to have an expectation, a godly expectation. David says, hey, by faith I choose, listen, this is important, I choose faith in my God over fear of my giant. That's what he did. And he says, I'm going to believe God in this, and and I know God's going to show up, and I know God's going to do something. Now, a couple of things to take note of here in this godly expectation. Okay? First one is this. Don't let others talk you out of your faith in God. Don't let others talk you out of your faith in God. Because they will do it. People will do it. Your giant will try and do it. Did did you notice what what Saul said? When when they bring David to him, he hears, Hey, there's a guy out on the line. And he's saying he'll take Goliath out. And Saul says, Well, bring that guy to me. And Saul takes one look at him. And and you see what he said in uh, verse 33? You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For, for You're your but a youth. while well, He's been a warrior from his youth. Paraphrase. Hey, listen, kid, I appreciate your zeal. You know, you got a good heart. But, but you can't. You can't do this. You can't take on this giant. You're just a kid. He's a, he's a warrior. He's nine feet tall. He's got armor. He's got you. Well, what are you going to do? You, you can't do anything. Listen to me. Don't let anybody talk you out of your faith in God. Because people will do it. Your circumstance will try and do it. But if God, listen to me, if God has spoken something into your heart or if he's shown you something in his word that he is going to do or how he's going to work or how he's going to take care of you or provide for you uh, physically, financially, emotionally, whatever, if if, if there's promises in God's word and there are, if there are promises in God's word that he's going to work in a situation, don't let anybody talk you out of that. Hold on to that expectation. No, I I, I don't, God's going to show up. God's going to do this. God's going to work in this situation. And don't forget about what God has done in the past. There's two very important ideas there in your expectation of God doing something. Don't let people talk you out of it. And don't forget what God has done in the past in your life. David gives two specific uh, examples. of it. he says, I went out after him, the, the lion, probably a mountain lion... And, and the bear it was, it was one each on two different occur- uh, situations two different times this happened I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth and when he rose up against me I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him David is the man even when he wasn't a man yet he was the man wasn't he uh, let's put it this way if David were here today sorry Bruce if David were here today he probably wouldn't be driving a Prius you know what I'm saying you, 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 know, you know what I'm saying I, I, I don't know. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> He'd be driving a big 4 wheel drive monster truck or something like. He he, and he, he remembers he and, and he says it right. He says it. you really, He says the God who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, He will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. David remembers. If we went around the room, I know we don't have time. If we went around the room. I, I would hope that most of you here, if you, if you have that spiritual foundation, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I would hope that if you've lived long enough that most of you could think of, yeah, boy, let me tell you about this time when God did this. Let me tell you something when God did this in my life. Let me tell you about this situation in my life. Listen, listen. Don't ever forget those times. Keep them close in your mind. Recall them when the next giant comes into your life. Say, oh, oh no, but listen, I remember that time. I, 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 got a, I got a million of them where God has shown up and done amazing things in our lives. I, I've told this one before, but it's been a few years. But it's one of my favorite uh, uh, God show up stories is uh, when, when and I had, had the, our kids were little and we moved to Tennessee and we, uh, we, we, we bought a house. We, we're, it was like a lease. With an option to buy, and we put a significant down payment down on a house. We moved to Tennessee, and we moved up there, and and we were miserable in short order. It was, it was it's a long story, but we were miserable. Uh, there wasn't a church around there that taught the Word of God, and there's all these issues, and there's a lot going on. And we moved there in January from Florida, the only place I'd ever lived, and and so it was just tough. And so uh, we began to feel like, oh man, we've made a mistake, and we, I wish we'd go back to Florida, go back to the Promised Land, and you know, just we, and so. By the way, I do not feel that way anymore. But, uh, but that's uh, uh, you know. That, so, but what are you going to do? We we put a substantial amount of money down on a house that we're getting. The closing's coming up in like another month or whatever. Uh, and, and so, what are we going to do? Uh, we can't we can't walk away and lose this money if we can go back to you know. What, what are we going to do? We bought this house now, and we, we just began to pray and, and ask God to forgive us if we stepped out of His will by making the decision to come there and ask God just to accomplish His purposes. And do we just we just began to, to pray. Closing day comes, we go to the closing in downtown Waverly, Tennessee. We go to the closing, we close on the house, uh, we get the keys to the house. Uh, well, no, I guess we already had the keys because we were living in the house. We were renting it with an option to buy. Uh, so we, we sign the papers, we get the paper, and we drive back home, and we drive back home, and it's probably, it's probably like a six, seven-minute drive from, from the attorney's office to the house we bought, right? We pull in the driveway, and there's a car sitting in our driveway. Y'all keeping up with the time? There's a car sitting in the driveway. We've owned the house for, for probably ten minutes at this point and uh, we get out of our car, and this guy and his wife get out of his car, and and they said, uh, hi, we're so-and-so, and And, um, uh, we understand y'all moved here from Florida, but we've heard that you're not really happy, and kind of thinking about going back to uh, Florida. We was wondering if you'd mind if if we came in and see your house, we're interested in your house. Sure, come on in. So they come in, and they look at the house, and as I've told people this story before, it was just, I guarantee you this man wished his wife would just, he wished he'd left her in the car because she is just oh I oh I I love oh I love that oh I love oh, this oh, I, oh, I could do this I would. So they see the house they drive away. that night the guy calls me and says listen would you take two thousand dollars more than you just paid for that house okay confession time I I probably was testing the Lord at this point I probably should have seen that two thousand dollar profit as a sign from God that he was that he was in this but I'm like oh. Mr. So-and-so, I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know if I can transfer with the Postal Service and get back to Florida yet. I, we're just kind of not really sure. So he calls me like three days later. and He says, listen, will you take $7,000 more than you just paid for that house? And I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> and, and listen, and we were in short order within seven months of the time we got. It's, I'm just telling you, it's, we, just, we just clearly saw it as a sign. It was one of those times when God just showed up don't ever forget those times. You know, I, could, I could tell you so many others. Don't ever forget those times in your life. And if you say, well, man, I, I don't know if I've got times that I can clearly see that, that was God, then I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push you back to that foundation. Where are you in that spiritual foundation? And are, are, where, are you living in obedience to Christ? Are you walking according to his will in your life to experience what God will do in your life, okay? All right, I know, I've got to move on. All right, so uh, let's go uh, uh, to the third one. Make a godly declaration. Real quick, we're going to wind this up. Make a godly declaration. All right? So, a spiritual a foundation, godly expectation. Hey, I'm expecting God to do something against this giant in my life. Are you expecting it? If you're expecting it, then don't be afraid to say it. Look at verse, where are we? Verse 38. All right? Yeah. Then Saul clothed David with his garments. So Saul's like, his kid's determined to do this. Here, let's at least put my armor on you. Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head. I suspect it was a pretty comedic looking situation, quite honestly. His little kid wearing this. And Saul was a big guy, by the way. And he clothed him with armor. David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. He took his stick In his hand, and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in the shepherd's bag which he had, even in his pouch. And he, and and his sling, uh, was in his hand. And he approached the Philistine. The Philistine came on and approached David with his shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. So Goliath like doubly mad because. Because I've been taunting you for 40 days. I've been telling you, send a man out. And, and is this what you think of me? That you're going to send a kid out here against me? Do you think I'm that defeatable? You're going to send a kid out against me? And on top of that, he's a good looking kid. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Remember, he's got a stick in his hand. The Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, "Uh, You come to me with a sword, spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you, and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly, all these people gathered here, may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into my hands, into our hands. (laughs) Let me say it again. I call that bold talk for a one-eyed fat man. This is a 12, 13, 14-year-old kid. And he's a nine-foot giant with his armor and his spear and his javelin and his sword and all this stuff. That's what faith does. Faith in God will bring you to a place of being unafraid to declare it. To say, hey, my God's got this. My God can work in this situation. Oh, yeah, you... you listen, listen. He's, he's seeing the same big bad giant that everybody else saw, right? He's hearing the same taunts... But he's looking through eyes of faith. He's listening through ears of faith. And so when the moment came, he was able to step up and say, Oh, no, 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 no. My God will work in this situation, giant. Bring it on. Come on over here. I'll I'll, I'll handle this in the power of God. See, that's the thing. It's David's faith, but it's God's power working in the situation. That's how God works, folks. God's got power. Nobody in here would argue that. God's got power to handle your giant. Look at me. To handle your giant, whatever it is. The question is, do you have faith in God to deliver your giant? And if you do, are you willing to declare it? Are you willing to shout it from the rooftops if necessary? Are you willing to stand toe-to-toe with your giant and say, Get back, giant. My God's got this. Listen, let me just say this, and and we'll close. I want to take... I want to share one other uh, idea with you, but I want to take this opportunity right here just to say, if you have a spiritual foundation and if you uh, have an expectation, if you're saying, yes, I I know God will work in this situation, then then I would challenge you this morning to consider declaring it. To declare it. I, I'm, I'm going to lead us in prayer in just a moment, and, and if you, and if you would say what, would the, your giant whatever's on your mind right now, it could be something that you're it's looming in the future. You know it's coming. It could be something you're dealing with right now. Whatever that giant is, uh, if you're willing to declare it, to just say to you, first off to your giant, hey hey financial crisis, I don't give a rip about you. My God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Hey hey cancer, I, I, don't, I don't care I'm stand, I don't care about you, my God has the power to heal me if he chooses to ultimately heal me by taking me to heaven whatever he chooses to do, hey, I don't care uh, uh, whatever the situation is, if you're willing to declare it now listen, I'm not talking about some fake you know, okay, I guess you better better declare it since this guy's standing up there and he's not going to shut up till I do, no, if, if, you don't, if you don't have faith, if you don't expect God to work in the, whatever the situation in your life then I don't want you to do anything but if you do have that expectation then I would encourage you. I mean, you don't have. You can say it out loud if you want. Wouldn't hurt anything. But if you want to just say to yourself, "Tell God, God, I'm expecting you to show up." God, I, I want. I'm. I'm. I'm going to say it. I know you're going to work in this situation. I'm just going to trust you in it. One more idea, and then we'll close. Here it is: experience a godly demonstration. If you've got the foundation and the expectation, if you're willing to make a declaration, then here's what you can experience: a godly demonstration. In your life, you really can. In verse 48, it says, "Uh, Then it happened, when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. And thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in David's hand. Then the Philistine ran and stood over the Philist. The, then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and to the gates of Ekron and the slain Philistines lay along the way to Shurim, even to Goth and Ekron. The sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and plundered their camps. Listen, it is an amazing story. Quite honestly, it, it is a story that would be hard to buy as a fact if, it's, if it were not For the fact that it's in God's word. And that makes it a fact. That David. This 12, 13, 14, 15. Some young young man. Maybe a teenager. Maybe not even a teenager yet. Runs toward his giant. While everybody else. And I do mean everybody else. Is running away from their giant. David is running toward his giant. (laughs) With a stick. And a slingshot. And faith in his God. And you know what? That's all David needed. That's all anybody needs. That's all you need for the giant in your life. That's all you need. Choose faith in God over fear of your giant. Make sure you have a spiritual foundation. Expect God to move because he desires to do so. Declare it to everybody that will listen to to you and then watch and see what happens. Be willing to say giant, I don't care, I don't care, you come at me with your circumstances and with this situation, that financial issue, you come at me with your with your armor, you come at me with this and that, but I come at you in the name of the Lord God Almighty who loves me supremely, who, who desires to care for me and provide for me, who will work in any and every situation God, I will trust you giant, I will this day see you ruined by the power of God so bring it on giant bring it on but let me go ahead and tell you this giant let me go ahead and tell you this in advance I might not can see it yet I might not know when it's going to happen but let me just go ahead and say this to you giant this is what you need to say let me just go ahead and say this to you right now giant you're going to lose your head over this one
0: thanks pastor what an example David is to all of us Goliath was an intimidating foe and he had everyone running scared Everyone except David. When you and I face giants in life, we can take the same action steps that David took and we can defeat our giants just as David defeated the giant Goliath. You and I may feel undersized, unprepared, and unable to defeat those giant obstacles in our life. But if we believe God and if we take up the weapon of faith, we really are undefeatable. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. to get it and join us here each week online for another crosswalk message God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm
1: not the water, I'm not the bread, but I don't know-
0: A new church for people like you. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.